0: Here comes the money. You're now listening to the Gambling with Gold podcast with Jason Gold, presented by Champions Round. Welcome back to Gambling with Gold. My name is Jason Gold, and we have a special guest on the podcast with the Arnold Palmer Invitational coming up. We have Spencer Aguiar from rotoballers the senior pga analyst over there he also just received a prestigious award the fantasy sports writer association golf writer of the year he's the co-host of the better golf podcast and you can find him on twitter at t off sports spencer welcome to the show we are really really lucky to have you on the show
1: i appreciate you having me on man it's a pleasure to do your podcast i look forward to running through some bets for the arnold palmer invitational this week
0: all right, so why don't we start off the top? We are at Bay Hill in Orlando, Florida. Last year's champ, Bryson DeChambeau. Guy pulled out even though he's at 90%. Oh, well, we're going to run without him in this one. This course does seem to set up a little bit for the Bombers. Obviously, with DeChambeau winning, proved that a little bit last year. But it does seem like some guys that are really accurate off the tee and can avoid some water can also find some success here. course is a par 72. Length is 7,400 plus yards depending on how it's going to play this weekend, and it is going to be hot, really hot this weekend down in Florida. Temperatures Thursday through Sunday, 85-85-85-89. Not a whole lot of wind. Seems like a bomber's paradise to me. How about you?
1: Yeah, you know, I've historically found the API to be a challenging tournament to handicap. I'm someone that wants as much information and data as possible to break down for the week, but For as steady as the course history has been from a rollover predictability standpoint, the metrics seem to tell a different story. And I don't want to make it sound like any golfer can win here because that is far from the truth, but we have seen players hoist the title with varying skill sets, which is where the modeling headache starts to take place. So I believe a combination of total driving, difficult scoring, long iron play to account for the nearly 30% of second shots that take place over 200 yards. Sand safe percentage and things of that nature will be of the utmost importance. But the potential for water danger, which you kind of mentioned, turns this into a very volatile tournament. Uh, if it's okay by you, I will quickly run through what I weighed for this tournament in my model this week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear it.
1: So I started with weighted T to green for 25%. And so that weighted part is me just recalculating the metrics to fit a course specific blueprint. As a whole, tee to green means nothing on a wider scale because every venue is different, but remeasuring the numbers to mimic the property in front of us opens up the landscape for our research. So 67.9% of the scoring dispersion takes place between off the tee approach and around the green with approach accounting for nearly 55% of that total. And instead of adding straight approach numbers into my model, I went a step further and recalculated the proximity totals from 150 yards and beyond since 66% of the second shots take place from there. I did weighted fast Bermuda for 12.5%. These greens are super fast. I wanted to pinpoint golfers that produced a combination of strokes gain total on the surface and also add in some putting. Uh, strokes gain total at difficult courses that are over 7,400 yards for 10%. Those pitfalls in water and bunkers are more prevalent here because of the shaved runoff areas where the balls can run into problems. It's why we've had the highest percentage of penalty strokes at the venue in two of the past three years. You brought up the total driving a little bit. I have 15% on total driving this week. That's a 60% weight of distance and 40% accuracy. I think you could change that slightly in either direction, but I settled, settled on a flatter build to try and find a combination of both since controlling your ball out of the three inch rough can be nearly impossible when you add in the green complexes that are fiery fast. I did weighted par three scoring for 10%, all four play over 200 yards. There's a little bit more of the weighted proximity from over 150 yards and specifically over 200 yards there. Weighted par five, 17.5%. When you remove the four par fives from the equation at Bell, Bay Hill, there isn't a hole that plays higher than 18.2% in birdie or better percentage. That's a stark contrast to the par fives, which range between 33 to 57% for the field. I can't emphasize it enough how vital it's going to be to score on these holes. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on weighted proximity from over 150 yards. I don't want to go into that again. I mean, we've talked about that part a lot of it. Sure, I probably missed some credible things like sand save percentage, strokes gain total in the wind, scrambling. But those are things I'm going to add to my model from an in-tournament perspective. And and I think that this way gives me the best chance to find success at a course that has been difficult to predict statistically in the past
0: so when you get into these live betting situations after round one after round two maybe even during the course of play and you're saying that maybe i will change the sand percentage based on what are you looking for specifically in that moment that you're like oh i have to change my model in order to find something you know some sort of value here
1: uh when i look at the stats of the way that they're playing out i mean one of the things that i will do is if wind starts coming into play i will add a wind filter into my model so i can look at it that way If I see guys are struggling out of bunkers and that's being a a spot that's hurting players totals, I'll throw that into the model a little bit. But, you know, I have a spreadsheet that I release every single week for free from a pre-tournament perspective. And then I also go through during the tournament. And one of the things that I love about my model is I use a lot of the pre-tournament data that I have, and then I add in the in-tournament data very marginally as the days go on to get more of an exact feel of how this tournament is going to be. So Everything I do is very marginal, small changes. I think that in gambling, when you overweigh the data one way or another, like think of it, I guess the best example I can give is, and this is the one I always seem to give on shows, but think of a football game. If you watch a Sunday night football game or a Monday night football game and a team gets obliterated on national television, there's an overcorrection that takes place in the market the very next week. And that's what I'm trying to avoid in these models. So everything I do, Uh, My pre-tournament numbers are usually from a two-year baseline that I run. And then from an in-tournament perspective, I'm just slowly trying to build in the stats. Like if a guy gains five strokes in approach, but I didn't like him on approach before the tournament, I don't want to get stuck as like, this guy is now going to be a player that's going to find success. So a lot of it's going to be what I'm looking for pre-tournament. And as I said, just gradually throw
0: it in. Got it. It makes a ton of sense. And I thought that the the NFL reference was spot on. I, I feel like most people that watch the show will totally get what I'm talking about or what you uh, you talked about there. All right. Uh, why don't we get into the betting? That's what we're here for. Yeah, that's what all the people are viewing for. So uh, let's start off with. Do you want to start off with the champ or do you want to go through round one and then tournament matchups? And then we'll end with the champ. Your choice. Uh,
1: uh, whatever you would like to do is fine. I guess we can start off with uh, the winner
0: of the tournament. OK, let's go there. So right now, top five in terms of guys who are on the board at DraftKings, John Rom 750 McElroy plus a thousand. Sky Scheffler, plus 1600 Hovland, plus 1800 and Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 2000. So it seems like Fitzpatrick's seen a lot of steam. This has come down from I saw early in the week around 3000. Uh, who are some guys that you're targeting in this market?
1: Uh, here's the problem with the board this week. I remain under the belief that since my model has 19 of the top 20 favorites inside of the first 23 names on my numbers, that the winner is going to be decided in that group. And for those that might be listening to me for the first time, I do want to note that I incorporate no Vegas pricing into my math. So it kind of shows that I'm fully in alignment with where the books are this week. And that's what makes it so tough. I I don't believe you should ever force bets nor am I one that typically tries to overexpose my card in the outright market. You can do that by either adding too many names or playing too many options near the top. But I'm going to take a stance in a unique structure for me this week, and I am going to go to the top of the board. Uh, I'm betting Rory McIlroy. Uh, am I allowed to give numbers from other books? Please do. So I grabbed Rory McIlroy at 13 to 1, Victor Hovland 18 to 1, and Corey Connors 70 to 1. I typically don't want to stretch my outright card out to be higher than 1.25 units. An average week looks somewhere between, you know, about a half unit to a unit in exposure in the outright market to win between 8 to 12. There are certainly going to be outlier tournaments and cards that will go in various directions. Uh, but these three leave me at 1.16, which is definitely on the higher side of the spectrum for what I care to do. But my model seems to be much higher than consensus on Rory's chances if this tournament ends up reaching double digits. And by the way, he is one of the most popular plays on the board. I don't mean that in the sense that I am higher than other gamblers. I mean it as far as my model is more bullish than the sportsbooks for what I think a proper number is for him to take down this event. Uh, You never love to see these situations where a lot of the square money is going to Rory while he slowly drifts in price. But I think the upside of this is hard to ignore. I really like Victor Hovland at 18 to one. I know we aren't talking about DFS yet right now, but he makes for a super intriguing pivot in this range. If he had any semblance of course history, everyone would be flocking to him with his current form of three worldwide wins in his past seven starts. But I do want to go deeper into the history because it isn't as bad as it seems when you dive into the numbers. Hovland was top five entering the weekend last year before imploding. He was top 15 entering Sunday in 2020. And shot a five over to finish outside the top 40. And the 2019 showing was his first attempt as Bay Hill as an amateur. Uh, When I just look at my numbers in my model, he ranks first in par five scoring, second in total driving, and first in weighted proximity over 150 yards. To me, that is a recipe for a massive showing. And then as far as Corey Connors is concerned at 70 to one, I would ignore the recent form. I have been beating the drum that he was a fade candidate during the majority of these recent missed cuts but he finally gets a venue that's more tailor-made for his game. Think total driving tee to green and good proximity out of the rough for a venue that suits him. And that's exactly what we have here.
0: I love, definitely love the Hovland pick. And from an outside perspective, I love gambling on, on golf, but really it's my, I would say my third sport in terms of gambling, but I follow it very closely. Uh, Victor Hovland is someone who for a couple of years has seemed like, all right, he's coming, he's coming. He's the next guy. He's the next guy. Seems like we're about there, and if there's a tournament that you want to win to throw your hat in the ring, like I'm the guy, you got to come beat me now. This is probably a good one to get on the board. So from that perspective, I know it doesn't not numbers based, but from a feeling perspective, I'm definitely down with the uh, Hoffman pick. I like Rory too this week. Seems comfortable there. Um, is there anyone else down the board that you like for top five, top ten? I'm looking at Corey Connors right now. DraftKings plus twelve hundred for a top five, plus five fifty for a top ten. Anyone down the board a little bit that you're looking for on those uh you know top five, 10, 20, maybe even a top 40 here.
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of entering into the higher parts of the market unless you have access to ties paying in full. Uh, so I'll give three top 40 plays this week that I like. Um, Sebastian Munoz top 40. That's plus 165 on FanDuel. That's plus 120 on DraftKings. I really like where Munoz's game has been trending over the past month. Three top 39 finishes in a row. He's averaging 5.43 shots to the field with his irons and driver. And really the only thing that's been lacking is the putter, which has gone beyond ice cold to the tune of negative 3.43 strokes per start. Putting is obviously a volatile statistic anyway, if you follow the sport, but we know Munoz has never been a good POA putter in the past. And I think the change back to Bermuda is coming for him at the perfect time. If the putter heats up, this can certainly stretch beyond the top 40. Uh, I mean, if you find a number you like, or if you do have a book that pays ties in full, I don't mind shooting this a little bit higher, but I like pinpointing quality ball strikers when putting gets neutralized at these challenging venues. I also grabbed Ian Poulter top 40 at plus 160 on FanDuel. That is plus 110 on DraftKings. I don't think Poulter is necessarily going to pop in your model when it comes to purely a statistical perspective, but he's played this venue 13 times in his career, finishing inside the top 48 during 12 of those occasions we definitely have lacked the upper echelon upside that you would hope to see for this to become marginally safer. But sometimes you have to trust what a player is telling you about how a venue fits his eye, even if the stats are saying otherwise. And then I will give you one that I haven't mentioned anywhere yet, not even on my better golf podcast, but Carlos Ortiz, top 40, plus 155 FanDuel, that's plus 140 DraftKings. I will note that this is the smallest wager I have of the group, but he climbs 32 spots when looking at my course-specific tee to green numbers, and he also ranks inside the top 25 of this field in fast Bermuda, total driving, and weighted proximity.
0: I love it. I love that we got a little spicy gambling with gold-specific bet in there. Thank you for that one. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, let's go over to tournament and round matchups. So Round one matchups are on the board, tournament matchups are on the board. Is there anything that you're targeting in either of those two markets? Yeah,
1: I'll give you three plays for each one of them. Um, From a a pre-tournament perspective, uh, this was a play that I mentioned on the Better Golf Podcast, and there has been some steam around this number, and it's a little bit higher now. On DraftKings, you can still find it at minus 115. Uh, There are some books. I've seen it as high as minus 140, so I, I think that the number could still be on the move before Thursday takes place. But Sergio Garcia minus 110 over Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, I would play this into the mid minus 120 range, but even though we have seen Garcia or we haven't, sorry, seen Garcia at this venue in nearly 10 years, there's a reason why he was a walking top 40 at the venue during his heyday. Sergio's combination of ball striking and par five scoring places him among some of the top names in this field. And it doesn't hurt matters that we have gotten this strange change in Fleetwood's game in the past few years, where he's gone from being a long iron savant to a middling pack player in subdued contests like this. Uh, I mean, he's outside the top 60 for me in weighted proximity. And that's something that like three years ago when he was a much better player, we didn't have. I mean, he was a top 10 player in long iron proximity. So not really sure what's happened there. I also grabbed Cameron Young minus 120 over Tom Hoagie. That is at Bovada. Uh, That price is one of the best in the space that I've seen. Uh, Same thing there. I've seen this as high as minus 140 at some shops, but I'm trying to get exposure to Young pretty much any way I can this week. I know that he's popular on DraftKings. He's coming down a little bit. I don't mind him at between 12 to 14%. Um, but that's the thing with Young that I like. As far as Hoagie can, is concerned, he tends to excel at shorter tracks where driving distance isn't such a large decider. That's the opposite of what we will have this week. The okay. Irons have been magnificent over the past year, but more mistakes can take place when the proximity ranges are coming from a longer distance. And then my least favorite of the three would be Sahit Thegala 110 over Andrew Putnam. That is at Bovada also. Uh, I've seen some numbers in other places where that's about minus 115. This is a very small edge for me. Putnam has a negative 25 spot difference in my way to tee to green versus how he should perform at a regular venue, which I realize if you look at my model can also be said about Thegala. but there's a stark contrast between being a top 50 player in the category versus outside the top 100. I do think there's marginal value in the number, and then I will quickly run through these first round plays. All of these will also be on Bovada. Uh, Their limits are questionable if you use the book, uh, but they do make a ton of head-to-head mistakes weekly. Going back to Cam Young again, minus 120 over Taylor Pendrith. I like Ian Poulter, minus 120 over Andrew Putnam, and then Gary Woodland, minus 110 over KH Lee. Uh, As far as the Woodland bet is concerned, he grades inside the top 50 in all metrics I ran, where Lee has multiple red flags inside of my
0: spreadsheet. All right. Why don't I ask you this one? Because you mentioned both of these guys on the board. DraftKings has a round one Cameron Young versus Gary Woodland. Young is favored minus 120. Woodland's coming back at plus 100. Do you see any value on either side or you want to stay away because you like both sides of that?
1: Uh, I would stay away. I mean, if you made me pick a side of it, I like the Cameron Young side more like the Gary Woodland play is more of a fate against KH Lee than anything else for the week. Like I'm actually trying to find matchups with Cameron Young that I like. Uh, the Woodland one just happened to be a scenario where I was trying to take on KH Lee. I like the price with Gary Woodland there, and I thought it was a little bit of value. But uh, I mean, if you made me pick a side, it would be Cameron Young. But just to put it in perspective, Cameron Young is 17th in my model this week. Barry Woodland is 31st. So we have a very small difference between the two.
0: Got it. Perfect. All right. Let's go over and touch on some DFS stuff. Uh, DraftKings has, you know, a bazillion tournaments this week. Uh, pricing on the board, ROM is favored or has the highest salary, 11,400. McElroy's at 11,100. Hovland up there at 10,800. And then down the board. So where do you see some value in terms of building out a roster this week?
1: Yeah, I'll give a couple names just in varying spots on the board here. I mean, it's not going to be a surprise to anybody after my Victor Hovland rant that I went on. I like him at ten thousand eight hundred. He's going to be the contrarian pivot of that range. We're looking at about ten to twelve percent right now. Uh, On you know the flip side of it, Rory's going to be seventeen to twenty five percent depending on what contest you play. I think Hovland's the unique way to go and. I have some concerns about Rom this week. They don't come from a statistical perspective, obviously. He's the best player in the world. This is a very challenging course. He has been known to be a bit of a hothead at times. Um, I'm not saying that there's going to be a problem here. I do think that it is baking into the number a little bit with this only being 14%. So you might be able to find some value on him as a, a contrarian pivot potentially away from Rory. Um, but those are the two guys I'm most inclined to go to. I'm fine with Rory also, but, uh, there are red flags about Rory's irons. If you're trying to dive a little deeper into the numbers, If we get into the 9,000s. I really like Sung J M. I I think this is a good bounce back spot for him. I also thought 30 to one was an intriguing number in the outright market. Like I don't have more room once I take two of the favorites on the board to mm-hmm. add a third name there. But I, Sung J was a name I considered, you know, if Rory wouldn't have made the card I think a Hovland, Sung J, something like that route was definitely something I was considering with it. And then I'll drop down into the $7,000 range and just give a few names. I like Corey Connors, uh, obviously. Um, Cameron Young, those are two guys I've already mentioned. I think Seamus Power, this is a good buyback spot for him after a couple of missed cuts. And I really like Keegan Bradley at 7,300 this week. Very good course history. Anytime you get these venues where his ball striking can outweigh his terrible putting form I think that's what you want to see and when I run this tournament from an upside perspective Keegan Bradley is 10th overall in this model for me so even at 10% uh, I don't think that that's nearly high enough I I'm fine playing this higher than that if I don't think it's going to get there at this point but I think he's a, a spot that opens up a lot of value on the board for you
0: Awesome. Uh, one of the guys on the board that I didn't talk about from a gambling or a DFS perspective was Keith Mitchell, who seems to be getting a little bit of steam in the market. Has uh, had two great finishes at Bay Hill before, and I believe he has four top 15s this year, something like that. Uh, can you break down a little bit of his betting odds and where you kind of see him? Just because I think he's probably one of the most steamed guys in the market right now.
1: He is, and he's gotten a lot of sharp money to him Um throughout various markets. Like I've seen at some of the sharper offshore books that a lot of people are backing him and a lot of public money is backing him. And that's where you get some of these crazy moves here. And he's eighth in my model this week. As you mentioned, a fifth here in 2020, a sixth in 2019, uh, four top or five top 12 finishes in his past six tournaments. I think he's fine chalk. Like that's the problem with this venue and this course in general this week. I think a lot of these chalky spots, because if you listen to my show, you will know I am the biggest proponent of try to find every reason to fade the chalk that you possibly can. But -hmm. I think a lot of this chalk is good chalk this week. I don't have a problem with anybody going to Keith Mitchell. I don't even have a problem with anybody going to Will Zalatoris at 20 something percent. And that's the issue that we're running into is we have these really high ownership numbers on these players. And. There's not that many guys that I'm actively looking to fade this week. And obviously you can't play everybody. and You need to condense the board down a little bit. So, I mean, I think that there's realistic pivot spots that you can find away from some of those guys. Like if we're looking for Mitchell, for example, I think you could go to Sergio. I think that's a place you can get different. Um, Paul Casey's going to be very popular himself, but Casey and Mitchell are two guys that probably should be in the $9,000 range this week. And that's what makes it challenging.
0: Awesome. All right, let's close with this. So on champion's round, we have a seven stakes contest for this. We also have one for the NFL combine and UFC 272, but we'll talk about this one here. Uh, basically seven questions. You have six options. All of them come with different odds. I'm going to ask you all the questions and you're literally going to fill out my seven stakes for me. And hopefully we're going to make some money this weekend. All right. Perfect. Let's get to it. All right. So, Question number one, player with the best finish amongst group A, your options, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Matsuyama, McIlroy, Scheffler, and Bradley. So the odds on that, Rahm 135, Victor Hovland 215, uh, McIlroy 265, Matsuyama 340, Scheffler 515, and Keegan Bradley coming in at 1550. Uh, so what are those uh, 60 you think is going to take it home?
1: I, I kind of like the number that you said on Rory. I was expecting him to be...
0: We have him third. Hovland. We have him third, not second. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what makes it. Because my initial answer to that was going to be Hovland until you mixed the numbers up on me there. i uh, from a pure value perspective. I think Rory is the best grab. Unfortunately, even though I probably like Victor Hovland the best in the group, so. Give me Rory. You might be trapping me on a price there, but uh give me Rory at that plus 260 or 265, whatever it
0: All was right. on it. So, yeah, yeah, we have it at uh 265. Yeah. All right. So Group B, Adam Scott, 215. Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 245. Sungjae J M plus 365. We, I think we might end up going there. Will Zalatoris at plus 420. Terrell Hatton at 575. And Mark Leishman at 650.
1: Sunjay, I really like Sunjay this week. I think that he should be the favorite of that group.
0: Okay, great. Uh, Group C, Billy Horschel 195, Jason Cockrack 260, Keith Mitchell 415. I think we might be going there too. Max Homa 595, Paul Casey 605 and Russell Henley 665.
1: <sighs> what was the price that you told me on Paul Casey?
0: It's six oh five. He's fifth in the group. So, uh, yeah, based on how you think that he should be nine thousand in uh, on DraftKings, this might be the move here.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna take Paul Casey. He's sixth in my model this week. Um, I have him as a golfer that should be about ninety three hundred. So, I think there's a thousand dollar mistake, and I just think that's a very good number.
0: All right, Group D: Sam Burns two thirty five, Taylor Gooch two ninety five, Gary Woodland three hundred, Jason Day four fifteen, Justin Rose six twenty five and Maverick McNeely coming in at 645.
1: Well, if anybody knows anything about me, I love Jason Day. Unfortunately, he has pulled out of the tournament. So,
0: yeah, I, I know, cannot and, go there.
1: Yeah. And um what are the prices that you set on McNeely and Rose? Uh Rose uh
0: 625 and McNeely 645.
1: Yeah, I will I will take McNeely. I'll, I'll go with another long shot there. I, I I think Kokrak makes a lot of sense. I think that there's names there that you mentioned that are, are good, but all those names are close enough for me. I, I'm going to take the dart throw a little bit down
0: the board. Awesome. All right. Three more left. Group E, Sergio, plus 175. I think we might end up there. Oh, actually, there's some interesting one down the board. We're, we're going to have a value battle here. Sergio, plus 175. Fleetwood, 195. I know he's out. Tringali, 310. Chris Kirk, 455, Corey Connor 560, and Cameron Young at 680. I feel he might end up with one of the last two guys there.
1: Yeah, it's going to be one of the last two. Um, I will go with my spreadsheet as much as I would like to go with Cameron Young. um, What did you say Bradley was? Or Connors was? Yeah, Connors, 560. Uh, Give me Connors at 560.
0: Okay. Great. Uh, Group F, Luke List, 245. Power at 315. Kevin Knott, 375. Patrick Reed, 565. SEP, our I guess he won last week, 610. And then Siwoo at 645.
1: There's a lot of sharp money coming in on Siwoo this week. Um, I don't necessarily trust him at this venue. I'm going to go with the bounce back spot with Seamus Power Um, I think he's the safest play of the group. I I don't necessarily want to touch most of those names that you said. It would be a Siwoo or Seamus thing for me, but uh, I I think Seamus is the safest play.
0: All right. Last one on the board. Final score. The winning final score of the tournament. uh, We have minus 13 at 345, minus 12, 395. 14 at 575, minus 10, 815. Minus 15 or higher, 925, and minus 9 or lower. Is gonna be at 1150. Uh, what do you think here? You don't have 11 under par as an option. And we don't have 11 par. Un, 11 under par as an option. That might be a mistake on my sheet. So let's say that the 10 is actually 11, and the I, 11 is uh, 815.
1: I, I would go with 11 under par. I think we're gonna barely creep into the double digit scoring. I, if the winds pick up, we might get a little bit lower than that, but. I think the eight under to 12 under range is what we're theoretically looking at here. I mean, all those options are going to be very close, but um, I I think the first two days players can put up enough scores and it is a par 72 at the end of the day. So I think even with this being a difficult course, I think you're going to have enough scoring that is going to take place.
0: All right, that does it. Uh, Spencer, it was unbelievable talking to you. We're going to have to have you back for a couple more tournaments. Definitely have to book you for the Masters. I don't know if I can book that right now. Uh, but it's been awesome. Uh, so this is episode 59 of gambling with gold. And, uh, we will talk to you later. Everybody go make some money on the Arnold Palmer this week. See ya.